Welcome to 2022, our year of great increase, as prophesied by our pastor, Pastor Boni Bahati. Did you know that offerings can either be a present given willingly, a tribute to a superior power, or a sacrifice intended to be an act of hope and faith for a great reward? In this sermon series titled, Frequently Asked Questions on Tithe, Offerings, and First Fruits, Pastor Boni Bahati teaches us from the book of Genesis. He shows us how God intended offerings to be and the various descriptions of offerings as rooted in the Bible. Be blessed as you listen and implement. So the series is called Frequently Asked Questions on Tithes, Offerings, and Fast Fruits. I'm so sure most of you have questions as to what offerings are. You have questions as to what tithes are. Do I have to pay my tithe? If niko kwa chama, then nipate pesa ya chama. Si yolo watu walitoyo pesa ya chama, walikuwa shatua tithe. Do I have to tithe again? Have you had those questions? If my parents tithe, do they tithe for me? Do I have to give tithe myself? If they send me pocket money, if, I, if they give me pocket money, do I have to tithe? And they have already tithed. Hey, the questions that people have. Yeah, Because a lot of people don't like giving. All those questions, by the way, arise because of the selfish nature of man. Yeah. Why would you have a problem breathing? Can you imagine if somebody would ask, now that my parents breathe, <laughs> do I have to breathe? That's the same thing. But you never have an issue with that because you know if you don't breathe, you'll die. But you have a problem with the fact that giving is important. So you ask, if my parents have given, do I have to give? It's so logical, right? So I'll, I'll seek to answer those questions during this month. That's why I asked you, you read the book of Genesis with me. Because the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And that's why everything that God wanted to do, he established the principles there. So today my subtitle is First Principles. First Principles. First Principles. First Principles. First Principles are the foundations on which we build important ideas or systems. These lights are disturbing me. Okay. First principles are the foundations on which we build important ideas or systems. They are like the foundations of buildings which we establish deep into the ground before we build up. Before this building came up, we had to dig a foundation. And depending on the strength or the height of the building, the foundation goes in the same manner. If the building is so tall and the building is, the height is so long and the building is quite massive, the foundation is of the same. So foundations are most, we would also call, first principles. So this approach, so this approach is not limited only to construction. We see it mirrored in nearly everything we do as each facet of life has its own first principles 
or what we would call foundations upon which we build. In the natural, most of us encounter essential principles for our lives early in life. The first instructions we received as children are often some of the most important, even if those principles are the most basic and not sophisticated or complex. I repeat, the first instructions we receive as children are often some of the most important, even if those principles are not the most sophisticated or complex instructions. They form the bedrock of our lives. For example, when you are growing up, one of the first things you are told is learn to be kind to others. True or not true? You are taught kindness from a very young age. You are taught to say sorry when you hurt someone. True or not true? You are taught to respect your elders, right or wrong. These are some of the instructions that we were given when we were young. So these instructions are not complex. Neither are they too complicated for us to understand. However, these first principles form the bedrock of a human being with morals. So as you can see, as simple as those instructions are, they form the foundation. They form the foundation on which we build our values and culture. So as we grow older, we build on those simple but foundational concepts to relate with others. Each one of us live our lives by the first principles we were taught at home at the beginning of our lives. It is said, so basically what them Soili was saying, what them Henga was saying, the first principles of life dictate what the child becomes. If you want a child to be a person of values and morals, you, you instill it from a young age. If you want to raise a brat, you do the same. You don't instill morals and values. Some of you, the reason why you don't steal is because you are taught not to steal from a young age. One day you were caught stealing sugar and the beating you received, you said, I will never steal again. Up to now, you've not been stealing. Some of you, you were caught stealing sugar and other than your parents rebuking you, they started laughing with you. Right now, you're almost going to jail. Because if you don't teach your children some values, when they grow up, get ready to always bail them out. Your parents have been bailing you out of police cell every now and then. For one reason, they never took time to teach you some foundational values. You are not, how, you are not taught how to respect women. So you have no respect for women if you are a man. If you are a woman, you are not taught how to respect man. So you have no respect for men. Because those foundational, though easy, though simple, though not complex principles of life form the bedrock on which we build our lives. So ask yourself, what foundational principles was I taught? And if I was taught them, have I gone in them? The Bible says, instruct a child in the way that he may go. And when he is old, he shall not depart. Instruct the child in the ways of God. When he is young, when he is old, he shall not depart from those instructions. So tell your neighbor, neighbor, the reason why you departed from God, the reason why you no longer follow God, is because at the foundational life, 
the foundational stage, there was no one to instill the virtue or the concept of God in your life. It's that simple. Because scriptures cannot be broken. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what training did you receive as a child? This, this someone is very heavy, eh? No one is saying amen. So each, each of us lives our life by the first principles we were taught at home at the beginning of our lives. On the surface, they appear simple, but they are, their implications have a wide application as we grow older and more complicated. They look simple on the surface. On face value, they look like things you can do without. But as you grow older, as you grow maturer, the implications of these instructions has a wide application. Some of you are not taught to respect elders. You have no respect for leaders. You are the keyboard warriors who sit behind keyboards and abuse people on social media. You call them all sorts of names because you are not instilled you are not taught how to know to respect elders. You have no respect for elders whatsoever. You respect nobody. You don't even respect the shepherd who shepherds you, like your love group shepherd. Because you are not, it was, some, it was not something cultivated in you. You all those things, they look simple, yeah? They look simple. But as you grow older, the implication of them becomes very wide. Now, you've grown up, you do the same thing, but on a wide scale. You respect nobody. Just as the slightest provocation, you reach out for anything around you that you can use as a weapon. You reach out for stones, you reach out for sticks, you reach out for bottles, anything that you can use. Because at the foundational stage of your life, nobody was there to rebuke you and to tell you these first principles is respect your elders, have respect for one another. Respect what's not yours. Have you seen children crying for what's not theirs? And their parents say, please, right now you are old, you are entitled. You think that the world owes you something. Because at the foundational stage, nobody was there to tell you what is not yours is not yours. So now you are growing up, you have an entitlement mentality. You think the world owes you something. You think the world owes you a job. You think the world owes you money. You think the church owes you to help you during your wedding. Ah. The silence is so strong. You think the pastor owes you something. Because you are not taught that this life is not a life of entitlement. So as you can see, the application of these principles is wide. Tell about the application is wide. Yeah. So just as children 
I introduced Ali to important life principles. Some of the most foundational truths in the Bible are mentioned at the very beginning. The book of Genesis, as its name suggests, is a book of firsts and beginnings. The book of Genesis, as the name suggests, is a book of firsts and beginnings. It introduces many of our foundational principles. Consider marriage, for example. Marriage is introduced in Genesis, and God said it's not good for man to be alone, right? So he made him a helpmate called Eve from his ribs. So you can see marriage is established in Genesis. Consider family. We can see the first family. We can see our first brothers. You see, Adam and Eve, you and I, have no relationship to Adam and Eve in the sense that they were not born of a woman. So we don't really have a relationship with them. But our brother, Cain and Abel, they were both born of Eve. So we have a direct relationship with them. For us and them, we are both born of a woman. So all that is established in the book of Genesis. Talk about sin. Sin is first mentioned in Genesis. That is where the first sin occurs. And the first sin was the sin of rebellion. It was the sin of do not eat of the tree in the garden. If you've read Genesis 1, Genesis 2, of the 2 or 3. 3, Genesis 3. You've not read, you, you see, don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. But Eve went ahead and ate. So you can see the concept of sin is introduced in the book of Genesis. We can also see the promise of redemption introduced. When after even Adam had sinned, God came and said, oh my God, what have these guys done? The Bible says, and, and God came in the cool of the day, around 4, 3, 4 p.m. in the evening. And he came and asked, Abel, ah, not Abel, uh, Adam, where are you? And Abel said, we heard your voice and we hid. Why did you hide? For we were naked. God told them, who told you you are? So we can see that God was first surprised that they have actually known they are naked. But nowadays you're not surprised to walk naked. You don't, you're not surprised as a lady to walk naked. The clothes you wear, you are semi-naked. Look at the neighbor next to you and say nothing. So God was surprised that these guys have known that they are naked. So what does God do? The Bible says that God slaughters an animal. And he takes the, the, the skin of the animal and he makes clothes for them. That is the story of redemption. Because by, if there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we can see that God wanted, us to, uh, wanted, uh, wanted the forgiveness of sin to happen. But there, was, there must have been a shedding of blood. So in the future, other than God shedding the blood of animals, he shed the blood of his only begotten son. So we can see the concept of redemption is introduced, or the promise of redemption is introduced in the book of Genesis. So Genesis is a book of firsts and beginning. This is where the first principles are laid out in a seed form to reveal, to be revealed in a full flower and fruit later on in the scripture. I repeat, in the book of Genesis, this is where the first principles are laid out in a seed form to be revealed in full flower and fruit later on in the scripture. For example, when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 19 verse 7, Matthew chapter 19 verse 7, Matthew chapter 19 verse 7, why Moses 
under the law permitted divorce to annul a marriage or to annul a marriage, he reverted to the first principle by saying, and, and he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the very beginning, it was not. So he went back to the very beginning and he said, from the very beginning, it was not so. So Jesus upheld the principles established in the beginning above the latter, the latter practices that were not in conformity with the first principles. So in the book of Genesis, we see principles. But as we keep progressing, we see practices. Some practices don't conform to the first principles. Are we together? So God tries to revert our practices to conform to the first principles. That's why when Jesus was asked, what did he say? In the very beginning, it was not. So in that particular situation, the first principles established that marriage was a lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. In other words, Jesus confirmed that the first principles are the bedrock on which an idea is established. So what happened from the beginning lays the foundation for what happens later on. If you want to understand the biblical truth, we have to find the truth that are told at the very beginning. If we want to understand biblical truths, we have to find truths that are told at the very beginning. With this to guide us, let us try and explore the very first principles or the very first offering mentioned in the Bible and learn the first principle about offering. So the first thing we are looking at is the first offering. The first offering. So number one, the first offering. The offering of Cain and Abel. So the first offering is in, the first offering in the Bible was by Cain and his brother Abel. But before we read the account, let me try and give you a background on to how we should view the stories of the Bible. Before we read this, let me try and give you a background on how we should view the stories of the Bible. Now, when studying the scripture, we must honor what is recorded as that which God intends us to see and learn from. I repeat, this is very important. When studying the scriptures, we must honor what is recorded as that which God intends us to see and to learn from. It is like watching a movie. What the movie shows what the movie shows us is what the storyteller considers important for us to understand his story. True or not true? So the director of the movie chooses the scenes and the words to convey the message he or she wants us to know or wants to share with us. He does not shoot every activity happening around him. Does he? He doesn't. He shoots those that are critical for his story then an editor decides what should remain and what should be removed. That is how the Bible reveals God's will to us. God chooses what to tell us in order for us to know and understand him. And that's why what is written and recorded is what God wants you to see and learn from. Not to mean that those are the only things that happened. There could be a lot more that happened because the Bible says if everything that Jesus did is written and recorded. No, no, no number of books can be able to 
uh, to, uh, to account for all of it. But what is written, is that is what God wants us to see and to learn from. So the Bible does not give us a detailed history of every event in the world. Neither does it give us a complete biography of the people it introduces. Its object is, is to set before us a history of the kingdom of God. And it only describes such persons and events as necessary for that purpose. I repeat, the objective of the Bible is to set before us a history of the kingdom of God. And it only describes such persons and events as necessary for that purpose. Tunaelewana. Tunaelewana. So God does not, the Bible does not record everything that happened. Oh, and Adam went to the toilet. Oh, and Abraham cooked meat. Oh, and Abraham sneezed. Oh, and Adam did blah, blah, blah. No, he did so many things. But the only thing that God wants us to know is what is recorded for us to learn and to understand. So the Bible is not a history book where every activity is recorded. The Bible is a book to reveal the kingdom of God. So the only events that are recorded are the events that help us see the kingdom of Lord, or the kingdom of God come to light. Are we together? So when you read the Bible, read the Bible with that understanding that what is recorded is what God would want me to know. That's why there are so many people who made mistakes in the Bible. But not all their mistakes are recorded. But there are others who their mistake is recorded. Like the mistake of Abraham. Can you imagine the mistake of somebody sleeping with another woman given permission by the wife is recorded in the scripture? Your wife tells you, Fanya ile kitu. Fanya ile kitu. Cheza na uyu. Cheza kama wewe. You see if you will get a child. Then that mistake... Because at the moment it was not a mistake because Abraham was hidden to his wife. Actually, the Bible says, and God told Abraham, listen to your wife. So Abraham was just fulfilling scripture in reverse because at that point he had not yet been told, listen to your wife. But he listened. But that mistake is recorded in the scripture. The mistake of David, alipenda manzi flani hapo, na kaunaezi kietu manzi hivo hivo. Alikuwa naoga, David alikuwa juya palace, alafu dema naoga kwa, so that mistake, that mistake is recorded in the scripture. And the reason why it is recorded is because God wants us to learn from that mistake. Are we together? So that is the mind we should have when we are reading the Bible. So our human experiences, or our human experience, is wide in culture and history. However, God focuses on specific scenes and actions to tell us the most important part of our story and how they fit into his relationship with us. So what is recorded is what he wants to use to tell his story. Nothing in the sacred scriptures is written without thought and purpose. Everything written in scripture conceals a revelation of God. The Bible says it's the delight of the king to hide matters. And it is the glory of what? No, it's the delight of God to hide matters. And it's the glory of kings to, to search them. So when God hides a story, a revelation in his story, he wants you to become a king who searches for them. So nothing in the Bible 
is without the revelation of who God is. Every comma in the Bible is intentional. Every full stop in the Bible is intentional. Every word in the Bible is intentional. Every story in the Bible is what? Intentional. Tell about every story is intentional. Every word is intentional. Every punctuation mark is intentional. Yes, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out. So the glory of God is to hide himself in stories in the Bible. Then your glory, because the Bible says you are a royal priesthood. You are a king and a priest. Your glory is in reading the scriptures and searching out the glory of God or searching out God in those stories. Like in the book of Esther, God is not mentioned anywhere. But if you read it with the mind of trying to, to reveal who God is in that book, you will see God all through. But they never mention God anywhere. But if you read it with the mind that I'm trying to search out who God is in this scripture, you will see God in everything. Are we together? So the scriptures don't waste words and stories. Tell your neighbor, the scriptures don't waste words and stories. Each one of us are rather... <laughs> the scriptures don't waste words and stories. So each one is necessary to understand the nature of God and the nature and the needs of mankind. Each story is necessary to understand the nature of God on one side and the nature and the needs of mankind on the other. From that point of view, we discover that simple stories in the Bible may hold the very foundational of profound truths about God dealings with mankind. From that point of view, we discover that simple stories in the Bible may hold the very profound and very detailed and very great truths about us dealing with mankind. So with this mind, we can now look at the first story recorded of an offering given and see if there is any first principles to learn from that record. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. How many are understanding what I'm saying? Ah, beautiful, the entire church. You are very smart people. Clap for yourself. I like preaching to intelligent people like you. The Bible says, and now Adam knew Eve, his wife. One day you'll get married and you will know a woman. I'm saying one day you'll get married and you will know a woman. But before then, don't know anyone. Know yourself. Is that okay? Can we read together? One, two, three. No, everybody should read. One, two, three. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So you can name your child Cain if you like. Okay, verse two. <laughs> I can't hear you then. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller. So you see we are introduced to Cain and Abel, then immediately after we introduced to what they did. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of ground. In the order of birth, Cain comes first. But in the order of work, Abel comes first. That's not a mistake. It's intentional because of the next thing that is going to happen. Let's continue reading. 
And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Abel also. Abel also brought the, brought the firstborn of his flock. When we were growing up in Sunday school, we were made to think that Abel just brought one thing. But the Bible says, and Abraham brought, ah, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. According to me, and according to English, flock is plural. Right? Flock is plural of many animals. So when the Bible says he brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat, it means, yeah, 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 flock is the, is the plural. So Abel brought the first, firstborn of his flock. So when growing up in Sunday school, I was made to understand that Abel brought one offering. But as I've come to see, Abel never brought one offering. Abel brought a firstborn of his flock. Meaning, if in his flock he had sheep, he brought the firstborn. If he had goat, he brought the firstborn. If he had cow, he brought the firstborn. If he had pigs, he brought the firstborn. If he had antelope, he brought the firstborn. So Abel brought so many offerings before God. But for Cain, the Bible says in verse 3, Go back to verse 3. In the process of time, then Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So his is very specific. The fruit of the ground. Not the fruits of the ground. The fruit. So there's a high probability that he only brought one fruit from the ground. But for his brother, he brought the firstborn of his those who say, I can only give 50 bob, it's okay, God and I lower. This is the scripture. I have nothing to say. I'm not adding. Verse 5. I'm not adding, I'm not subtracting. You see, I'm just reading the scriptures. It's not from a Bible. Ask your neighbor, are we reading the Bible together? Verse 5. The Bible says, and he, but he did not respect. Okay, let's start from verse 4 so that we get the whole context. Because it's one statement. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his... Uh -huh, let's go on. But he did not respect Cain and his... And Cain was very... And his countenance... So God never respected the giving of Cain. God never respected his offering. But God respected the giving of Abel and his offering. That is to tell me, there's an offering you will give God, and God does not respect it. And if we can just deduce from the scripture, we can see Abraham, uh, not Abraham, Abel, maybe one of the reasons why God accepted the giving of Abel was because of quantity and quality. Because he brought the firstborn of his so firstborn speaks of quality, the best. Because that's the one that opens the womb, right? So you get the best. Your first, the firstborns are always the best children. Because they are the ones who open the womb. They always end up being deputy parents. It's the truth. It's the scripture. I'll show you in Deuteronomy. So he brought quality. And not only did he bring quality, he brought quantity. Because he brought firstborn of his flock. So maybe... It could be God respected the giving of Abel because of quality and quantity. 
But for Cain, he only brought what? The fruit of the ground. Not the first fruit. Not the best fruit. So there's no mention of quality. There's only mention of quantity. Tunaelewana? Kula mtu elewi kizungu tafadhali nitumie Kiswahili. So as mentioned earlier, this is the first account of an offering given. It doesn't necessarily mean that that offering had that it doesn't necessarily mean that an offering had not been given earlier by Adam and Eve. You know, one might have happened earlier, but there's no record of it. And as I told you, what God records is what God wants us to see and what God wants us to learn. What tell your neighbor what scriptures record is what God wants us to see and what God wants us to. So it doesn't mean that Adam and Eve are not given offerings, but it's not recorded. So because of the brevity of the brevity of this story, we must pay close attention to all the details in it, including what it says as well as what it does not say. For our purpose, we will focus on the aspects that relate to our subject, tithes, offerings, and what? Fast fruits, because that's the series we are doing. That means, although this story has a lot to say about salvation, human relationships, and other subjects, our main focus will just zero in on giving to God. Tell your neighbor, we will only zero in on giving to God. So the first thing that we see in this story is that we see firstborn humans. The first thing we see in this story is firstborn humans. That's so number one under the story, firstborn humans. So the biblical record introduces to us Cain and Abel as firstborn of human race, both of them. Like Abel is first, is, Cain is firstborn in the order of the family of Adam and Eve. But in the order of the human race, these two are like the firstborn of the human race. Are we together? Like they were born out of a woman, both of them. But Adam was created out of the soil. Who here was created out of the soil? Maybe you could be the brother of Adam. And we don't know. Look at the, the guy next to you. Maybe the color could tell you. If they are very dark, could be. If they are light, could also be. So from the story, we first see Abel, Cain and Abel as the firstborn human beings who came into existence by the union of a man and a woman through conception and birth. Because the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So we see that they came into living or into being through the union of a man and a woman, through conception and through birth. So Adam and Eve came into being by direct act of God. Adam was created from the dust of the earth. Eve was created from the rib of Adam. No other woman was created from your rib. Some stop saying, this is the rib of my rib. You don't have a rib. They were not made from your rib. The only woman who came from the rib was who? Eve. I busted your bubble. So neither of them are recorded as having been born of a woman. Speaking of Adam and Eve. But for Abel and Cain, they were conceived by Eve and birthed or born by who? By Eve. So as much as Adam and Eve are our first human parents, Cain and Abel are our brothers. We share more in common with Cain and Abel than Adam and Eve. While Adam and Eve were created in the garden, the place of order and harmony, 
Because Eden means the place of order and harmony. Cain and Abel were born outside Eden into the place of chaos and pain where you and I live. Because they had already been banished out of the garden at this point when they are conceiving each other. That means in the garden it was so sweet there was no time for having sex. Because the sweetness of that place was satisfying. But when they came out into a place of pain and chaos, they had to look for sweetness to satisfy themselves. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> That's my opinion. So in the process of that, they ended up conceiving and giving birth. Are we together? Are we together? So Abel and Cain, we have more in common with them than Adam and Eve. So they started life where we have started our lives and gave our as a first glimpse of life outside Eden. They are the first people who lived outside Eden. We, they started their lives where you and I started our lives. Nobody here was born in Eden, the Garden of Eden. All of us were born in a world full of chaos. The Bible says a man born of a woman is a few days full of trouble, not a man born from the dust. For Adam, the story might have been different because Adam was never cast. It is the ground that was cast in his place. But if you read, if you read during the cast, God said, and the ground shall be cast because of you. And from your sweat, you shall eat. So Adam never received a cast directly. But the woman who ate the tree was cast directly. She was said, in pain shall you give birth. So you can see their story is a bit different from our story. But for Cain and Abel, we can relate. Alizaliwa Kibich, perhaps, in your time. There is another place in, uh, in Eldoret called Kamatagui. Maybe they were born in Kamatagui in Eldoret. <laughs> How can you name a place Kamatagui? You know Kamatagui in Kikuyu is catch a dog. So it is interesting how the Bible chooses to introduce Cain and Abel. The story, could have been, the, the story could have used their age or their physical statures to introduce them. Although it is inferred from the story that Cain is older and Abel is the younger one, the story does not consider their age difference to be of much importance to us. Rather, the story selects their work. That's why I told you, in the order of work, who came first? Abel. In the order of birth, who came first? So their story rather uses to, selects to use their work and their offering to be the most important feature to introduce them. So God uses their work and their offering to introduce them more than using their age and their physical stature. The Bible does not say, and Cain was well built and was the firstborn. The Bible does not say, and Cain had red, had, was red, red face. When the Bible says red face, it means handsome or beautiful. It's not color. When you see red, like the lady, uh, if you keep reading Genesis, you'll see that the woman who got married to, not Leah, the other one was Rachel. Is it Rachel who was red? Or who was more beautiful? Rachel. Yeah. You see the Bible says, and Rachel was red. Even David, the Bible says he was red, red-faced. Meaning he was handsome, not his face was red. Red was a sign to show danger, mortal. Like beautiful. Mortal, hot. Hot like a hero. I'm hot like a hero. So look at the lady next to you and say, you are red. You are hot like a hero. 
So the Bible does not use those things to introduce to us Canaan. Instead, it chooses to use what? Their what? Their work and their offering. So according to me, work and offering is very important to God. Work and offering. So look at the neighbor next to you who does not do anything. Ask them, are you really in the plan of God? If your work is to sleep the whole day. So, it is obvious that they must have crawled, walked, and learned how to speak and played. But this is not the focus of the story. The text tells us, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So the focus of Cain and Abel as workers is very intentional. Because God respects work highly. God respects work highly. You cannot just be working to pray, maka, 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 Lord, send me help. Then you go to sleep. The Bible says, and the Lord shall bless the work of your hands. You have to pray and put work so that God has something to bless. So you've been praying, but you've not been giving God something to bless. That's why you are poor. Go and sell sweets. Because God chooses to introduce to us our first brothers as workers, not as sleepers, not as people who pray. He chose to introduce to them as workers. So work must be very important in the sight of God. Do stay on, but do something with your hands. Do something. If anything, when God created Adam, he told him, go and till and cultivate the garden. Cultivate, right? Cultivate the earth. Go and work. That's the one of the main reasons why you are alive, is to work. Not to sleep and receive 200 from politicians. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, the main reason why you are alive is to work with your hands, not to receive 50 bob from politicians who have put in work to get that 50 bob. Yes, then they worked to get the 50 shillings they are giving you. But you, young man, you don't want somebody who will introduce to you work. You want somebody to be giving you handouts. For how long will you live on handouts? For how long? What, does the Bible say, and the Lord will bless your handouts? The Bible says that the Lord will bless the work of your Chukua matunda, weka kwa wilbaru, wenda uuze. Chukua sweetizako, tembea nazo, uza. Do something with your hands. Stop waiting for a white-collar job. Aziko hizo. Nakama aziko sisa hizako. We fanya kazi. Bibiria hizasema, and the Lord shall bless you with a white-collar job. The Bible says, and the Lord shall bless the work. So whatever you do, as long as it's work, as long as you are sweating, that is what God will bless. Tell about that is what God will bless. Ladies, stop looking for a sponsor to take care of you. Put in work. Work. The Bible does not say, and the Lord shall bless the twerking of your father, of your bamba. The Lord shall bless the work of your hands. So you have to put in work. You are not created to become a... Sex is not work, by the way. Don't say I'm a sex worker. There is no work called sex. It is, the, Bible, the Bible says that sex is a sport. You remember the scripture we read in Genesis? Bring them out that we may have a sport with them. So it's just a recreational activity. So you cannot say you're a sex worker. Tell over from today. If you're a girl, put in work. Use your hands to work. Because God introduces to us Cain and Abel as who? Workers. And after you work, 
bring an offering. Because God said, now, let me, let me show you that after they worked, the next thing they did is offering. So that speaks to me that work and offerings are joined at the hip. Are joined at the hip. That's why even people who don't believe in God, when they go to a Muganga, Muganga na wambianga nini? Leta kitu kwa If you watch Nigerian movies and Karomanzira, you always see it depicted that the Muganga will always say, bring something for the wa? Wangwana. Because it is very important for work and offering to always be together. Aha. Are we understanding each other? Are we understanding each other? So it is obvious that God wants, God wants us to see Cain and Abel as workers. They were not lazy people who just sat around waiting for someone else to provide their needs or for a miraculous act to feed them. They worked for their keep. Work is the means by which we cultivate the resources of the earth, express our creativity, and gain dignity. I repeat, the definition of work is this. Work is the means by which we cultivate the resources of the earth, express our creativity, and gain our dignity. So your dignity is in your work. Even if you sell sweets, your dignity is in your work. Even if you sell miwa, your dignity is in your work. You are better off than someone who steals. You are better off than someone who takes what is not his. You are better off than someone who lives by handout. Because you are, you, you, you are expressing your creativity. And by expressing your creativity, you are cultivating the resources of the earth. Therefore, you are gaining what? Dignity. That is what work is. Work is expressing your creativity and cultivating the resources of the earth and gaining your dignity. So work gives you dignity. Remember, works give you, works, works, work gives you dignity. So God himself is introduced in Genesis 1.1. How many, how, many, how many are believers of God? How many believe God? Let me see. Thank you very much. So if you believe in God, guess what? God is introduced in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 as a working God. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God is introduced to us as a creator. Who is a creator? Someone who initiates and brings things into being. That's a worker. So the God you follow is not a lazy God. Tell about the God I follow. He's not a lazy God. He's a working God. So I have to be a worker. Because I'm created in the image and the likeness of who? That means if you're in the image of God, you are in his likeness. What is his likeness? Likeness is the same attributes. If he is a worker, I'm a worker. If he is a giver, I'm a giver. If he loves fellowship, I love fellowship. I'm created in the image and the likeness. Not just the image, the likeness. So some of you have the image of God, but you don't have the likeness of God. Because the image is you look like him. But do you have the likeness? Can people say, this man, can people look at you and say, this guy behaves like so-and-so? Because anafanyanga vitu same na kenye, anafanyanga. Can people still look at your work and say, there is a likeness of God in this work? Or kazi yako ni kulala kwa nyumba na usiku kwenda kuibia watu. Shindwe! Umelaaniwa. So God is a creator. And there is a curse on people who don't work, by the way. The Bible says, if you don't work, you should not do what? Eat. So, likewise, we see Adam and Eve or rather we see Adam specifically, was introduced in the, garden as, in the Garden of Eden 
as a worker. And even outside Eden, he continues to be a, a worker. So in our first siblings, rather if our first siblings were workers, then we must also be workers. Certainly, we cannot all be, be keepers of sheep. We can't all be tillers of the ground. We have many options for work today, from artists, people who keep the, the, the field, botanists. We have carpenters, we have dentists, we have engineers, we have geologists, we have hoteliers, we have information technologists, we have journalists. We have so many options for work. The most important thing is we must all engage ourselves in the productive activities that produce beneficial outcomes. We must work. Tell about we must work. Repeat after me, I must work. I must work. I must find something with my hands to do. Although in the sequence of birth, Cain is mentioned first, in the sequence of work, Abel is mentioned first. That may be a simple interchange of words. That may be, that actually may appear as a simple interchange of words. Or it could mean something more than that to a keen eye. It could mean that Abel's job was harder or more involving than Cain's job. It could mean that. In, in, the, in, in any case, Abel was a shepherd. Literally, a shepherd is a feeder of flock. Which in the oriental countries, like the Asian countries, oriental, mid, mid, Middle East kind of countries, or countries where, where farming is very important. You know those kind of families? I'm trying to explain best oriental so that a normal person will understand. Because not everybody understands. But you understand how the Middle East countries live. Like there is, there is a king who owns the whole land, so you guys have to steal and bring back your, 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 your giving. If you find Oriental on the dictionary, give it to me. Maybe that's what how, how somebody will understand. So in the Oriental countries, this included goats as well as sheep. Cain was a tiller of ground, a crop farmer. But for Abel, he was taking care of both goats and sheep. Both of them were gainfully employed. They were not lazy men. They worked hard at vocations that were suited for their abilities. One was growing crops, the other was rearing animals. So the work you do must be in accordance to your abilities. According to your abilities, gain a what? A meaningful what? Employment. So after introducing Cain and Abel as workers, the focus now shifts to what they did with the rewards from their work. After introducing Cain and Abel, the focus now shifts to what they did with the rewards from their work. Are you guys lost or you're with me? How many are with me? Let me see. Thank you very much. Majority are with me. So God introduces them first as workers. Then he goes ahead and introduces them to us. As now people, the focus now shifts from being workers to now let us look at what they did with the rewards of their work. They used the reward of their work to give an offering to God. So obviously, that was not all that they did with the rewards of their work. They might have eaten from their crops and their flocks, but that is not where our attention is directed. Our attention is directed to the offerings they gave. And this account shows us of the first principles of scripture or the first principles scripture provides 
of tithes, offerings, and fast foods. So after they are workers, now God says, now let me show you what workers should do as the first thing. He introduces to us the concept of giving offerings. So after we see them as firstborns, number two, we now see them as givers. So the Bible says, in the process of time, the second thing, we see them as what? Givers. First, we are introduced to them as the firstborn of human race. The second thing, they are introduced to us as what? Givers. Because workers and giving and offerings are joined at the hips. Tell about work and offerings is joined at the hips. So the Bible says, in the process of time, verse 3, in the process of time, verse 3, verse 3 is the one before 4. <laughs> because he's like, he's not getting it. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the ground to the Lord. In the process of what? So the passage says that in the process of time, Cain and Abel brought an offering. So there's a lot of vagueness about that phrase. It is not specific. We are not told within what time frame that process of time happened. But we can deduce a few things from that statement. It would not have been when, the when they were children. Because they wouldn't have had much productivity and would not have engaged in so much productivity that they become independent farmers and animal husbandry when they were children, right? So we can deduce that in the process of time is out of their childhood. It's not when they were children. It is a time when they were mature enough to start engaging in productive work, which is farming, and the other one which is husbandry, keeping of sheep and goats. So considering the lifespan of the pre-flood era, if we are, are, we, are we at the flood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we are reading the flood chapter. Now we are at Noah, right? So considering the lifespan of the pre-flood era, in the process of time, could be a very long time within our context. For people who live to be 900 years, it could be, have been measured a bit differently from the way we measure it today. Because our 50-year-old would still be a young person if they are living 900 years. Right? So that could mean that they were not even 150 years. They could perhaps be half of 900 is 350. Because ordinarily right now, a lifespan is 80, 70 and 80. So we begin working at 20. Right? So they could also mean that they began working at above 150. The quarter of their 900. That's when they begin working. You understand? Are we understanding together? How many? Quarter is 100 and 200 and 245, thank you. So could be that they were around 245 years. Can you imagine? 245 years is a quarter of your life. Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. And that's when you are 100, you are, I don't know what. You are dying. You can't walk. You can't even remember people. You've lost your cognitive abilities. You have, someone has to take you to the toilet. Hey, may that not be your story in Jesus' name. So, when I was younger, growing up, I used to do, when I was young and growing up in the ministry, we used to go to do school ministries in rural places. So when we'd go to rural places, you'd ask somebody, I remember one time we went to Vulia, Vulia Girls, with a few people here. So when we went to Vulia Girls, we asked some residents, because we didn't know the place exact, we asked them, where is Vulia Girls? 
They just told her, it's just here. So their measurement of distance was very different from our measurement of distance. When they told us Nova, it meant 15 kilometers on a rough road. But to them, 15 kilometers was Nova. So you can see their context and our context were what? Different. So when, when we are told in the process of time, in the context of people who live 900 years, we could be looking at a lifetime of today's average life, of a today's average person. We could be looking at your entire lifespan in that one statement, in the process of time. So this was the period Cain and Abel worked before they could bring their offerings. How long had they been working before they brought their offering? The Bible says one harvest season because it was after harvest that they brought their, their offering. So one harvest season could be maybe those days, could be five years, could be ten years, could be 30 years, could be 50, 50 years. It could have been any of those time frames. But the passage does not give us a definite time. So we must not have, we must not be what we are meant, that must not have been what we are meant to focus on. What we are meant to focus on was not the time frame they spent. The, what we are supposed to focus on is they brought the offering. So the, the reason the clause in the process of time is significant is that it has a bearing on the offering they made to God. That means they had worked for some time and were now making an offering to represent the time period they worked. So they were not just presenting an offering from the current season they had worked, but from their entire working period. Now, in our, in our context today, an average working season is like 30 days, right? Because we get paid after. So in our context today, if the Bible is to be written, the Bible will say in the process of time at end month, they brought their offerings to the Lord. Because in our lifespan, people are paid after 30 days. Others are paid after one week. Others are paid after uh, 14 days. While others are paid daily. So basically, what the Bible is trying to say, the Bible never fixed it to a specific time. Because God knew in the future, people might not be able to live that period. So imagine if the Bible says, in the process of time, after 150 years, they brought an offering. That means I'm, I'm, I'm expected to bring an offering after 150 years. In my entire lifetime, I will never give an offering. True or not true? So God never closed it. He just said in the process of time, in the first season, or after the harvest season, they brought an offering. Some of you receive your pocket money weekly. God expects you to bring an offering weekly. Some of you receive your pocket money after two weeks. God expects you to, to bring your offering after or any time you receive. Some of you receive it daily. He expects you to do it daily. Hey, Pastor. Aki leo kona mabad. Yuna kujia tu pesa yentu, man. See, you're missing the Bible. Are we not reading the Bible? Tell your neighbor, are we not reading the Bible? So the first thing we see, we see that this from, from this story, we see that they are the first human, humans, the firstborn humans. Number two, we see that they are workers, right? True or not true? Number three, we see that they are givers. 
So now let's focus on the giving, the offerings. Because that's what the, that's what the story wants to focus on, right? And we said earlier, what, God, what is recorded is what God wants us to see and what God wants us to learn from. Do you know about what is recorded? Is what God wants us to see and what God wants us to so the Bible says, in the process of time, they brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So in addition to the signaling, to signaling that they worked for a span of time, the passage records that the first time the word offering is used is after they had worked. Or after they had received an income. Pastor, me I don't have an income. You receive pocket money, that's your income. To a student, an income is pocket money. To a worker, an income is a salary. To a businessman, an income is a profit. True or not true? So everybody in the level you are in, there's an income you give, and there's an income you receive. I just ask you to me, you don't know you are So don't start saying, I don't know pastor. So easy, I'm a hustler. Alasema to Sidanganya. So let's take a look at the first introduction of both the idea and the word. Here, the first principles of offerings are laid out. So we'll take a look at the word, then we'll examine the practice. Apa my lawyers not kabisa. Because there is a principle. In law, there are principles and there is a practice of the law, right? There is the, bed, there is the principle of the law and there is the practice of the law. And sometimes the, the principle and the practice are not the same. How is this practice is not how it is principled. It might, be, it might be practiced differently, but the principle is the same. But you are not going to do law. You Eh? I'm getting to you. Yeah. Yeah. So the Hebrew word for offering is mikana. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it because I'm not Hebrew. But I'm just trying to pronounce it. M I N. C H A N Mikana Mika or Mika. Actually, I think it's Mika. Minka. Minka. That's literature literature teacher. It's Minka. Minka. Mika. Okay, Minka. So it has a reference to an offering. The Hebrew word for offering is Minka. So this has a reference to an offering. A sacrifice. A portion or donation. It has reference to an offering, a sacrifice, a portion or donation. So elsewhere in the Bible, it is translated as gifts, presents, or tribute. The minka is the primary or primarily a religious offering, but may also be a personal gift or tribute to one that is given to his ruler. I repeat, Minka is primarily a religious offering, but it may also be a personal gift or a tribute to the one 
the, it may also be a, a personal gift or a tribute that one gifts, that one gives to his ruler. Are we together? So it could be an, a religious offering or also it could be a personal gift that you give to your ruler. For example, if the president comes and I give them a tribute or I give them a gift, in Hebrew, it could be the same word, minka. Are we together? So for our purposes, I will highlight the usage of the word as a gift, a tribute, and a sacrifice. So each one covers a wide understanding of what it constitutes to be an offering as we consider the application of the word in the story of Cain and Abel. So an offering, number one, an offering is a gift. Offering is a gift. So the offering of Cain and Abel, or the offerings Cain and Abel brought to God, were gifts. A gift is a present that is given willingly. A gift is a present that is given willingly. The word willingly is the qualifier. The word willingly is the qualifier. That means it is the most important. So a gift is given. Tell me, a gift is given willingly. I can't hear. Tell me, a gift is given willingly. Usually, a gift is, is given without the expectation of something in return. A gift is usually neither given as a reward or a payment for something that has been done. A, give, a gift is given without the expectation of nothing. It's not given as a reward or a payment. So when someone gives you a gift, they are not paying you. They are giving you willingly, without expecting anything. So an offering is first a gift to somebody. So when you come to give your gifts to God, you are giving your offerings. Or when you give your offerings to God, you are giving gifts to God. And I'm so sure if you are like me, when someone gives you a gift, you measure them by their gift. Their gift has a way of representing them. Right? So you need to ask yourself, when I give that offering, what gift am I giving to God? If God is to measure me by my gift, where do I stand? Number two. A gift is given to show appreciation or affection. A gift is given to show appreciation or affection. As most married men learn slowly, but surely, wives glow when you give them meaningful gifts. And all the married men say, Amen. Obviously, husbands also like to receive gifts, but it seems the ladies claimed that corner first. So we leave it to them. So it's not enough to profess love in marriage. The profession must be backed up by a, meaningful give, by a meaningful gift. So when you say, I love you, I love you, profess or back up that profession by what? By gifts. Because women like gifts. One time I gave, I sent my wife money randomly. Just a few shillings here and there. You should hear the kind of calls I was given. Oh, babe, I love you. You are the best. God gave me the best. When God was, was creating you, he thought about me. Hey, hey, may the Lord bless you and give you more. 
hata sasa hii nikituma na najua nitapata hiyo. Anasema nitume tuone. <laughs> Aki pesa wewe. Aki pesa wewe. So a gift is given as what? Read for me what you've written. A gift is given to show appreciation or So when you're giving your gift to God, you are showing your appreciation of him and you are showing your affection to him. So when you're giving that offering, does it really embody that? Does it really embody appreciation? Will God call back and say, when I was building you, I knew you will do this. When I was doing this for you, I knew you will come through. I knew you. Will God call back? If God was man, will he give you a phone call after you've given? Or it will just go unnoticed? Nimeka mna ubaya. Sio mimi ni Bible. Ni Bible tu. Na nyorosha a gift is given as an appreciation and as what? To show appreciation and to show affection. Number 3. Gifts are free will offerings. Gifts are free will offerings. The fact that you give it freely is what makes it a gift. If you are forced to give, it is not a, an offering. It's not a gift. If you want it to be a gift or an offering, you must be willing to give it. You must want to give it and you must give it quick. A gift cannot be demanded. Although I have seen I've come across incidents of people demanding gifts. Atujaini nulia shati wewe. Na Valentine imefika. Ujaini peleka out. Wasichana wasquizi I know you. Oh ujaini peleka out. You cannot demand. It's so unethical to demand a gift. A gift is given free will. I give it quick. I give it without I I want to give it. I give it without thinking, but when you start demanding, it no longer becomes a gift. It becomes something else. True or not true? So, gifts that are not demanded are the true gifts. Gifts that you give without being forced are the true gifts. So your offering will only become a gift to God when you give it willingly. When you give it without being forced, when you want to give it, that's when it becomes an offering. So there will always be people who bend rules and demand for gifts. But those people are not receiving gifts. They are receiving demanded gifts which are not gifts. Number 3, number 3 or number 4. Number 4. An offering may also be a tribute. An offering may also be a tribute. An offering, an offering may also be an offering may also be a tribute. An offering may also be a tribute. Or a payment expected by a superior power. Usually a state and most likely from the, the, the inferior person. This was a common practice when one state conquered the other in the old days. The weaker state was called the vassal state. Normally contributed a specific amount of gold, silver, or other commodities on an yearly basis. So a tribute is given by a weaker to the superior. 
So an offering is also a tribute because we are the clay and he is the potter. So we are the weaker ones and he's the superior one. So sometimes when we give our offerings, we are giving them as tributes. We are paying honor. We are paying tribute to a superior person. So as much as they are gifts, they are also tributes. And tributes are demanded. There are consequences for not giving tributes. Number five, a tribute is not the same as a gift. A tribute is required. A tribute is not the same as a gift. A tribute is required. A tribute is a payment owed to a higher authority. In many cases, it is a payment that subjects in a kingdom make to their king to show their loyalty. In many cases, it is a payment that subjects in a kingdom make to their king to show loyalty. So in the ancient times, when a king ruled their subjects, the people in the kingdom had to pay tribute to that king. When a king conquered another nation, the king of that conquered nation would pay tribute to the king who conquered him. And it was required that they have to do it to show their loyalty to him. In the feudal state, those who worked on the land, the feudal state is where the lord, like the kingdom, the Lord owns everything. You see, when you are speaking to a king, you, you say, my Lord, because he's the landlord. He owns everything. That's called a feudal state. So in the, in the, in the, feudal, in the feudal system, those who worked on the land of the feudal Lord paid tribute to him. So tributes were required to be paid, failure to which sanctions will be required of you. In our day, those is what we call tithes. Ah, not tithes. Uh, taxes. Taxes. This is the same as taxes in our day to day. So Cain and Abel brought an offering as a tribute to God. Because God was the owner of the land. They acknowledged God as their land. Or rather, they acknowledged God as their landlord. They acknowledged the Lord as the owner of the earth, including the crops and the animals they reared. So when they were bringing that offering, they were coming to acknowledge God as the owner of everything. That's what the Bible says in James, that no every good and perfect gift comes from who? The Father above. Everything we have comes from the Father above. He's the owner of everything. He's the owner of the few shillings you have in your empesa. He's the owner of the job you have. He's the owner of everything. So when you're bringing your offering, you are actually coming to pay tribute to him. To say, Lord, I acknowledge that you are God. So when you don't do that, it shows that you are not acknowledging him as God, meaning you are not loyal to him. And if you are not loyal to a king, then the king sanctions a few sanctions on you and withholds what belongs to him. True or not true? He says, now from now henceforth, because you are not loyal to me, the water that I used to supply to you is cut. The electricity that I used to supply to you is cut. The land that you used to live on is claimed back. Because you don't pay tributes. You don't show your loyalty. So Cain and Abel were showing their loyalty. In giving their offerings to God, they were paying him for the use of his land. 
and his abilities that he had endowed on them. Do you realize that the abilities you have belong to God? If God does not teach you how to draw, however how hard you try to draw, you will never learn. If God does not give you a brain that understands, you can be in class and you are sleeping. The fact that you are a doctor, the Lord has given you a brain that understands. So that ability to be a doctor belongs to him. There are many people who want you to be doctors like you, but they are biology teachers. <laughs> you understand? You understand what I'm saying? So the abilities you have, tell me about the abilities you have, belong to God. So when you come to give offerings as tributes, tell me about as when you come to give offerings as tributes, you are coming to acknowledge God as the owner of those abilities. So at the same time, when they were giving these offerings as tributes, Cain and Abel, they were pledging their loyalty to God. So tributes are levies that are required to be paid. These tributes can be and sometimes are called offerings, just as gifts are called offerings, even though tributes and gifts are two different things. Today, we pay our tributes to our state in form of taxes. When we pay these taxes, it is essentially a tribute that we owe to the state. We are not, when we pay taxes, we are not giving the state a gift. Are we giving them a gift? You see, my work is to, my, my joy is helping the poor, so I pay taxes. You see how you'll be sanctioned. They will wait for you one day. You'll be vying for a very senior position. They come. I, one time they had, they had locked down a multi-billion industry in Naivasha. You remember when, they, when it was all over in the news? Because they owed them. I've seen so many companies taken to court. Because they, oh, they closed down a whole industry. A betting industry. All of it was shut down. Because they said you're not paying taxes. So taxes are serious. Tell about tributes are serious. Tell about I cannot hear you. Tell your neighbor, neighbor. Tributes. Are very serious. So today we pay tributes to our states in form of taxes. When we pay these taxes, it is essentially a tribute that we owe to the state. It's not a gift. We could be punished for refusing to pay a tribute, but we cannot be punished for refusing to give a gift because a gift is not required. It is given out of free will, not out of obligation. However, when an offering is a tribute, we have no choice but to pay it. Number six, an offering is a sacrifice. An offering is a sacrifice or, a, or an offering is a sacrifice. In addition to the idea of an offering as a gift and a tribute, it is also a sacrifice. The word sacrifice has two meanings. The first, it is the act of offering something as a means of atonement, worship or thanksgiving. The first meaning of offering is the act of offering something as a means of atonement, worship, or thanksgiving. It is a practice that is associated with worship. That's why it is an atonement of sin. It is an act of worship. That's the first meaning of a sacrifice. Like the ultimate sacrifice for atonement of sin is Jesus Christ. So Jesus was given to us as a sacrifice. He is an offering that is a sacrifice to atone our sin. He is a sacrifice that is a worship. The Bible says he has entered once and for all in the most holy place, holding his blood right before the Father. And because of that, he is seated far above with the Father on his right hand because it was an act of worship, an act of atonement, an act of thanksgiving. 
So a sacrifice can be an act of thanksgiving, like what we will do today. The sacrifice we lay on the altar is an act of thanksgiving. It's an act of saying, Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to work. Thank you for giving me the abilities to work. So I'm giving this offering as an act of worship to you. I'm giving this offering as an act of thanksgiving to you. Number two, an offering as a sacrifice, or the second meaning of sacrifice, is to surrender something of value. To surrender something of value. Or to give up something that is important to you. To surrender something of value. Or to give up something that is important to you. A sacrifice, the second meaning of sacrifice is surrender something of value. Or give up something that is important to you. In both cases, sacrifices are costly. And one, rather, sacrifices are costly to the one who makes them. So number one, a sacrifice is an act of worship, atonement, worship, or thanksgiving. And number two, a sacrifice means to surrender something of value, to give up something important. So sacrifices are not just made for their own sake. They are made with a return in mind. Anytime you make a sacrifice, you must have a return in mind. Because sacrifices are not gifts. Sacrifices is to give up something of value. And sacrifices are given with return in mind. When God was killing Jesus on the cross, he had a return in mind. He gave, the Bible says, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. He spoke this in regard to the death of Jesus. By his death, God would have many sons. That's what the Bible says, as many as received him, he gave them power to become sons of? So when God was crucifying Jesus, he had you and me in his mind. So he had a return in mind. Tell about God had a return in mind. So sacrifices have a return in mind. So anyone who makes a sacrifice and does not expect a positive outcome has missed the point. And everyone who makes a sacrifice does expect or does have expectation of a positive outcome. When a person makes a sacrifice for atonement of sin, they expect that their sin will be forgiven, right or wrong. So when Jesus was becoming an atonement of sin, we expected that by his blood we are what? Forgiven. For there is no forgiveness of sin unless by remission of? There is no remission of sin unless by what? Shedding of blood. So similarly, when a person gives up something valuable today, they do it in expectation that something more valuable would be given to them sometime in the future. I repeat, when someone gives up something valuable today, they do it in expectation of something more valuable in the future. A sacrifice is an act of hope, an act of faith that anticipates a reward. A sacrifice is an act of hope, an act of faith that anticipates a reward. So when you are giving an offering, when you are giving an offering in form of a sacrifice, you are giving it anticipating something greater to be given to you in the future. It is an act of hope. It is an act of faith that anticipates a what? A reward. Tell about it anticipates a reward. So think about it. When parents sacrifice their time and money for their children, do they do it only because they want to deny themselves? Talk to me. Do they do it only because they want to deny themselves? They do it because they want a future for their 
children. So they give up so much that their children will have much more in the future. Sacrifice anticipates reward. Repeat after me. Sacrifice anticipates reward. So anytime you give a sacrifice, you anticipate a reward. If you give a sacrifice of a car, you anticipate a reward of more cars. If you give a sacrifice of a TV, you anticipate a reward of something greater than that TV. Our sacrifices always anticipate what? I can't tell you, sacrifices always anticipate what? Sacrifice anticipates reward. So today, as you prepare to give your sacrifice, you are giving it with hope that a future will be produced by faith by that offering. So if you don't give a sacrifice, it means you have no anticipation of heaven you want. You have looking forward to nothing in the future. Are we together, my people? Are you understanding me? Is the word powerful or what? Is it sweet like I'm feeling it? I think I'm preaching very well. So when Cain and Abel brought their offering to God, they were making a sacrifice. That means they gave up what they had worked so hard for. But they also expected something in return. So they gave up something they had worked so hard for. You have worked for 30 days. Then you come and give your sacrifice as a tithe. Or you come and give your whole, uh, your whole salary as a sacrifice to God. You are giving up something that you've worked so hard for. But you're not just giving up for the sake of it. You are giving up because you are expecting something in return. That's why no altar, either light, an altar of light or an altar of darkness, works without a sacrifice. Sacrifices is the language of the spirit. Because without a sacrifice, there is no reward. That's why God himself had to sacrifice. Because he has established a principles. Uh, he has established a principle rather, or he has laid down principles that sacrifices will only produce rewards. So if there is no sacrifice, there is no what? Talk to me. If there is no sacrifice, there is no what? So sacrifice anticipates what? So when Cain and Abel brought their offering to God, they were making a sacrifice. That means they gave up what they had worked so hard for, but they also expected something in return. They expected the one to whom they are making this sacrifice to do something for them that will be far more worthy than what they had given up. I repeat, they were expecting the one whom they are making this sacrifice to. to they expected the one whom they were making this sacrifice to, to give them something that would be far more worthy than the one whom than the thing that they were giving up. Am I making sense? I feel like I'm not making sense. They expected the one whom they were making the sacrifice to, to do something for them that would be far more worthy than what they were giving up. Yes, now I'm making, I'm making sense. So they said, Lord, I'm giving this sacrifice to you because I know you are able to give me far much more than what I have given up. So when you are giving your sacrifice today, you are giving up in anticipation that the one whom you are giving this offering to, because this offering is not for Pastor Boni. Look, when you pay your taxes, do you pay to Uhuru? Who do you pay to? And who is that government? Who receives it? KRA. There's a representative who receives that tax. But that tax, that tax is not his. It is for the state. It's for the government, right? In the same manner, when you lay a sacrifice, there has to be a priest who receives it on behalf of God. But that sacrifice is not for the priest. 
You're not making the sacrifice to the priest. You're making the sacrifice to who? To God. Remember, you're making the sacrifice to God. And sacrifice anticipates? I can't hear you. Sacrifice anticipates? Talk to me. Sacrifice anticipates? So if they got what they expected in return from God when they laid that sacrifice, then they would consider that their sacrifice had been worth it. If they don't get what they expected, then they would feel disappointed and let down by God. And perhaps it could be an indicator that the sacrifice they gave was not enough for their anticipated reward. That's why Abel became, uh, Cain became angry. And his face was downcast. And the Lord asked him in verse 6, Cain, why are you angry? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will you not be accepted? If you give the right kind of sacrifice, don't you think I'll accept it and reward you? The reason I accepted Cain's, Abel's, is because he gave the right kind. He gave quality and he gave quantity. So ladies and gentlemen, a sacrifice is, or rather a sacrifice anticipates reward. That is what an offering is. An offering could also be a gift it could be a tribute, and it could be a sacrifice. So from the story of their giving, we can see that they gave it as a tribute, they gave it as a gift, and they also gave it as a sacrifice. So lastly, from this story, we see another concept introduced. And this concept is that what they offered to God was the fruit of their labor. They offer to God the fruit of their? Oh my God, will I finish what I wanted to talk about the, today? Do you have like 15 more minutes? Then we do the consecration. Yeah? Or I stop at that. Can I finish? So the Hebrew word for fruit is peri. Peri. P-A-R-I-Y. Peri. The word fruit, just like the word offering, has several meanings, including produce, reward, or earnings. The word fruit, just like the word offering, has several meanings, which include produce, reward, or earnings. I feel like I've lost you. Have I lost you guys? How many are with me? Lift your hand if you're with me. Shoot up your hand. How many are not with me? How many are lost? Oh, those who are lost, it will be on podcast, eh? You need to listen slowly. Not everybody understands fast. Is that okay? Listen and listen again. The whole of this week, it will be on podcast. The word fruit is often used to mean produce. Something that has been given or something that has been grown. The word fruit, let me paraphrase that statement. The word fruit The word fruit is often used to mean produce. Something that has been grown. The word fruit means produce. Something that has been grown. For something to qualify as a produce, it must involve work and effort. For something to qualify as a fruit or as a produce, it must involve work and effort. So produce is a result of growth or development. Although the word is used directly for what Cain offered, it can also be applied for what Abel offered. 
Both Cain and Abel offered something they had produced. Their offering was the fruit of their labor. Go to verse 3. Verse 3, quickly. Verse 3, brother. Okay, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. King James, use King James. And in the process of time, Cain brought the, the fruit of the ground. So you see, fruit is produce. And for something to qualify as produce, it must involve work and? It must involve work and? Tell about for a fruit to qualify as produce, it must involve work and effort. Is keeping uh, sheep and goats work? Does it have some effort? Then it qualifies as a produce or as a fruit. Is stealing the ground work? Does it involve some effort? Then it qualifies as a fruit. Are we together? I told you you are sharp people. So when a person works to produce something, that product of his or hers is called a fruit. When someone works to produce something, that product is his or a fruit. Why do we call children the fruit of our womb? I can't hear you. Why do we call children the fruit of our womb? Because we worked to do what? To produce them. So anyone who has a child is a worker. <laughs> a doctor, his, to a doctor, his surgical accomplishments are his or her fruits, right or wrong. To an artist, his paintings or his music is his or her fruit. To a carpenter, his furniture or carpentry is his or her fruit, right or wrong. To a preacher, his preaching work is his fruit, like what I'm doing right now. My preaching is my fruit. To a footballer, his tackling and his scoring of goals is his fruit. Because for something to qualify as a fruit, it involves work and effort. Hey, you are sharp people. So what you do vocationally or as work is what your fruit is. Because you are producing it out of work. You are producing it out of work and what? Effort. So the word fruit also means a reward of payment. The word fruit number two also means a reward of payment for work done. A reward which is a payment received for work done. A reward or payment received for work done. So while fruit can be the work you do, it can also be the money you are paid for the work you do. Fruit can be the work you do, but it can also be the money you are paid for the work you do. For example, if you're a musician and you do some good song and you go and sing and you get paid, what have you received? A fruit, which is a reward of the work you did. If you're a doctor and you go and do surgery, you go and put in some work and do surgery, and the surgery is successful and you are paid for your surgery. What is that? It's a fruit of the work you did. If you are a soldier and you are sent to war by your country and you go and kill people and win the war for your country, what you are paid is a fruit for your work. It's a fruit for your work. There are people who ask, now will soldiers go to heaven? Yes, because they are working. They have been sent by a state 
So what they are doing is not out of their own will, per se, in quote. It's because they have been instructed by the state. That's why they are paid for their work and effort. And that work and effort is called what? Fruit. So fruit is reward. Fruit is reward. Or payment for work done. So this includes our salaries, our wages, our fees, and our bonuses. When we are paid or rewarded for something we have done, it is a fruit. When Cain and Abel gave their fruits to God, they were presenting to God the rewards of their labor. I repeat, when Cain and Abel gave their offerings to God, they were presenting to God the, re the rewards of their... I can't see they were presenting to God the reward of their... And that meaning for fruit is earning. Earning. Earning is an income derived from an investment. The first meaning for fruit is produce, right? The first meaning for fruit, the second meaning for fruit is reward. And the third meaning for fruit is earning. The first meaning of fruit is produce. The second meaning of fruit is what? Reward. And the third meaning of fruit is what? Earnings. Earning derived from an investment. This includes interest, dividends, or capital gains. In other words, you didn't directly work for it, but you benefit in the long term from your initial investment. For example, you are not responsible for the conception of your grandchildren unless you are a magician. How many are grandchildren here? How many are grandchildren here? Most of us are grandchildren, right? All of us. By, when I mean most of us, I mean maybe your grandparents who are not alive. Yeah. Most of us are grandchildren, right? Did, did your grandfather impregnate your mother? Did he? Who did the impregnation? But does your grandfather benefit? Does he benefit? But he did not, benef he did not do it there? So you are not responsible for the conception of your grandchildren. But you, have, you are not, by, by, by what I mean, you are not given birth to them directly. Right? So you are not responsible for their conception. But had you not given birth to your children, your grandchildren would not be alive. They will not come into existence, right? In that sense, your children, or rather your grandchildren, are also your children. But they are your children in a grand form. That's why they are called grandchildren. Because if you are not given birth to your children, you will not be having grandchildren. So you are indirectly benefiting from the work of your hands of producing children who in turn have produced grand so those children are still your children but in a grand in a grand form like in a in a in a long term gain so that is still fruit so god blesses you with grandchildren after he has blessed you with children there are earnings you make that are grandchildren or second generation earnings. So there are some earnings that we make that are grandchildren or second generation earnings. Earnings we received indirectly from our earlier investment, like grandchildren. Grandchildren, you receive them from an earlier investment of children. 
for example, if right now I buy a land and 20 years later, I bought the land at maybe 100,000. Then 20 years later, I sell that land at $10,000 or like a million bob and I bought it for 100,000. Did I say that? Like I bought it for 100,000. Then later on, after 20 years, I send it for a million shillings. I have gained from it, right? And even if I did not make improvements on the land, I still gain from it, right? It's, it is simply a result of market appreciation, right? And my patience in holding on to the land, right? So my 10,000 is coming from me not being quick to sell the land. I may not need to do any investment on that land. I don't need to upgrade the land. But just holding the land, eventually after 20 years, I'll gain 1 million shillings. I'll gain 900,000, right? So have I gained from it? So some of the plants, or rather, let me, let me, let me go back a bit. So it is my first investment of $1,000 that is producing more children or fruit for me after 20 years, right? So some of the plants that Cain presented might have been produced from, an, from earlier plants he had harvested, right? In the same way, some of the animals Abel offered might have been produced or have been born by animals that he had already had. So when the Bible says that Cain and Abel offered fruit, these are the meanings I want you to have in mind. When someone offers fruit, it means they give a gift or a tribute or a sacrifice based on work of their hands. Their reward, their reward or something they have and Are we together? So when someone offers a fruit, it is that they are offering the reward of their hands, the work of their hands rather, a reward or something they have and either directly or indirectly. In, indirectly in the sense of their earlier investment. I feel like a financial analyst now. Mnanielewa? Ama mmepotea? Ama mmepotea ndaachia hapo? Mnanielewa? So in the case of Abel and, and Cain, both made an offering to God. They brought the fruit of their labor or the fruit of produce. The Bible says that Cain gave the fruit of the ground. He was a crop farmer, so he brought the produce of his work as a farmer. This does not necessarily mean he brought the actual fruit. Yes, it could have been oranges, mangoes, but it could also mean that he, he, that, uh, he, that he brought something that he produced. He brought something that he did what? Grains, nuts, vegetables, fruits, all those. It could mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean that aleta mayembe na aleta kituzo nyalifanya kenye kazi ya mkono yake. Imagine aleta kazi ya mkono yake. So Abel, on the other hand, brought the first fruits of his flock and their fat. This was also the fruit of his work, but it was not from the ground. It was from the animals he had reared. He was, his livestock was what he brought from. The fruit he brought was from his livestock. So he brought the fruit in form of animals and their offspring. Now, these offerings that they brought, they did not just bring them anywhere. There was a specific place that they brought these offerings to, right? So let us now look at the place they took these offerings. So the story, of, the, the story seems to indicate that there was a special place where Cain and Abel brought their offering. 
The Bible says, and they brought it before the Lord, and the fruit of the ground unto the Lord. Verse 4. And Abel also brought the offering, blah, 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 and the Lord respected. Verse 5. Uh, oh, no, go back, go back. Can, verse 3. Verse 3. And they brought it. You see, they was in the process of time, it came that Abel and blah, 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 brought the ground and offering unto. Another version says, they brought it before the Lord. So the phrase could indicate an attitude of heart as well as an designated place. I say that phrase, before the Lord, could mean, could mean, New King James, kindly, that, that phrase, before the Lord, could mean an attitude of his heart as well as a designated place. In other words, we can offer something to the Lord by taking it to a place that is dedicated to the Lord. I repeat, we can offer something to the Lord by taking it to a place dedicated to the Lord. When you bring your offerings today here, you are bringing it because this place is dedicated to who? This is not a bar. We don't sell uh, changa here. There is nothing else we sell here. What is here is dedicated to who? So everything here is holy unto them, including you and me. All these things here you see. That's why if you take something from this place, you are taking a holy thing. You understand? Because everything here is dedicated to who? And everything here was gotten from offerings that had been dedicated to God. If we buy a TV, that you person could buy a TV, Talk to me. So that TV is in essence holy. Right? Because the what bought it is something that was dedicated to who? To God. Don't get bored. At the same time, so I was saying, we can offer something to the Lord by taking it to a place dedicated to the Lord. At the same time, God wants us to make an offering to him by being conscious of him when we are making that offering. That's why I said it is both an attitude and a place. So the offering was offered in an attitude and in a place. So while you bring that offering to the dedicated place, God wants you also to have the mind that I am offering this in the presence of God. So you are conscious of his presence as much as you know that place is dedicated to him. So you know this place is dedicated to the Lord. So while I go there, I am conscious of that place. That's why some people enter church without shoes. Because they say that's a holy place. It is dedicated to the Lord. And they are conscious that God is in that place. So when you're offering your offerings, when you're giving your offerings, have the mind that I'm offering it to a dedicated place. And not only that, I am conscious that the person I'm offering to is in that place. So it is both an attitude and a place. So before the Lord is both designated as a place within us and designated as a physical location. I repeat, before the Lord is both a designated place within us and within, a, 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 within, a, within us and a designated physical location. This is similar to what Jesus meant when he instructed us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 6. I'm finishing the Bible says, go into our rooms or our closet and pray. Jesus speaking, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room. When you've shut your door, pray to your father in the secret place. 
and your father who sees secretly will reward you. So that inner place is both, it is both in an inner place and an outer place of worship. You go into your closet to pray when you pray from the depth of your heart, from deep within your spirit. You also go into your closet to pray when, when you find a designated place to do what? To pray. So when Jesus was saying, we pray from, we should go to the closet and pray, he meant pray from within your heart, from within your spirit, but also go to a designated place and do what? Pray. So it is both an attitude and both a place. It is an attitude and so the offerings you are bringing to this place, you are bringing them from the attitude that God is in this place. And this place is dedicated to God. Close every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you because today you've given us an opportunity to offer an offering, to offer an offering. I ask that, Lord, that which you've purposed for us shall be acceptable to you. I have more than a song. Father, anybody who has dedicated themselves to you and consecrated themselves to you, I ask that, Lord, you change their life. Let this be the beginning of change in their life. Accept their offerings, O oh God. Accept their offerings, O oh God. Accept their love for you, O oh God. Accept their joys for you, O oh God. Change their lives, O oh God. Give them a new life, a new list of life, oh God. Let them not know struggle, Lord. Let them not know pain, Lord. Let them not know pain anymore in the name of Jesus. They will not die prematurely. They will not lose hope in the name of Jesus. This year, nobody will be in accidents. I can't hear you. Amen. Say, none, none of you who have consecrated themselves will be in an accident. None of you will die by a stray bullet. I say, none of you will die by a stray bullet. None of your houses will be broken into. None of you will be marked. I say none of you will be marked. Because angels go before you. Angels go by your side. Angels go around you. The presence of God goes with you. You will never know luck. You will never know struggle. The Lord shall keep you and sustain you. The Lord your God shall be your God. He shall be your great reward. He will go before you and make every mountain straight. He will go before you and level every valley. The Lord is your God. The Lord is your God. I say the Lord is your God. He is the Lord of your help. He is the Lord of your help. In the name of Jesus Christ, you stand strong and blessed. I say you stand strong and blessed. You stand strong and blessed. The Lord shall bless you. The Lord shall do you good. The Lord shall increase you. The Lord shall fight for you. The Lord shall be your great reward. The Lord shall be your banner. This year, anything good that comes from the Lord, you have it in the name of Jesus. The Lord shall accept you. The Lord shall receive you. The Lord shall promote you. The Lord shall increase you. This year you walk in divine health. Amen. You can't be admitted in hospital. Amen. I say you can't be admitted in hospital. Amen. And even if you get admitted, yes. the Lord shall heal you and discharge you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You will never know lack. Amen. You will never lack food this year in your house. Amen. As long as you've consecrated yourself, Amen. you will never lack food in your house. Amen. When you need food, God will give it to you. Amen. When you need rent, God will give it to you. Amen. Your house will never be under lock and key. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Those who are jobless and you've consecrated yourself, may the Lord give you a job. Amen. I say, may the Lord give you a job this year. Amen. May the Lord favor you and cause you to excel. May you go above and beyond in the name of Jesus. Amen. May you go above and beyond in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are blessed in the city Amen. and blessed in the country. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise?